It is the Lockdown Bengals Podcast with your hosts, Joe Goodberry and Jake Lisko. Find us on Twitter at Joe Goodberry and at Jake underscore NFL. Please like, subscribe, and share as we try to grow this community and pump out daily Bengals content just for you. What up, Bengals fans, and welcome to another episode of the Lockdown Bengals podcast. Today, I promise I will not get into a debate about Joe Burrow with my co-host, who's not named Burrow, but is also named Joe. It's a whole Joe future for this Bengals. Joe Mixon, Joe Burrow, Joe Goodberry. Remember when they had all the Johnsons? Yeah, this is just like that. This is exactly like that. We have some exciting news to share with you today. You might have noticed that we changed up the format of the podcast a couple months ago, started experimenting with some prescribed segment lengths and that sort of thing, specifically with front-loading you with the news and, and most important analysis every week. And the reason that we've done all of that is because we've been collaborating with Google for roughly the last year, but really stepping it up in the last couple months, last three months or so. And they've just launched a feature called Your News Update. And this is a Google Assistant feature that launched today. So if you tell your Google device, hey, Google, tell me the news, you'll get a mix of stories assembled real time based on your interests, your location, and the top headlines. You'll have to make sure that you add locked on in your available news sources if you have the Google Assistant. And this is something you can access by going to your profile from the Google Assistant app going to the news playlist format and your news update. So make sure you add locked on in your available news sources and add locked on to your news update. You might even be able to specify that you're specifically a fan of the Bengals and then you'll get a five minute update from us whenever you tell your Google device to tell you the news. So check that out. We're really excited to finally be able to announce that. So obviously we're excited to partner with Google and, uh, you know, I appreciate you guys working with us as we worked through it and, and you know, you stuck with us as we figured out what the best way to present this new format and stick with the Google guidelines while also giving you content the way we do. So we're here getting that Google money and we appreciate you guys listening. As South Park said, we're getting that internet money. That was South Park, right? I didn't watch South Park that much. I think South Park, anyway... We do have some news to update you on today with some injuries clearing up and crystallizing the picture, particularly on the left side of that offensive line. News out of Paul Brown Stadium this week tells us that Alex Redman is getting first team snaps at left guard. Redman has started at right guard this year after he came back from an early year suspension. And Billy Price, in the meantime, has a back injury that he's been working through taking snaps at second team center. In the more noteworthy news, one of the better offensive linemen on the team that hasn't played at all this year, and no, unfortunately not Jonah Williams, but Cordy Glenn is on track to start at left tackle, according to The Athletic's Jay Morrison, and that is big news for an offensive line that has desperately needed a shot in the arm all year. 
And it's coming right off the game where a rookie gets four sacks, and they're not all on John Jerry. And In fact, he gave uh, Billy Price some issues when Max Crosby jumped back inside. But three were on John Jerry. There was pressures on um, a couple other players, plus right tackle. I think, you know, obviously Glenn being one of the guys, there's two guys here on the roster, A.J. Green being the other one, that have been taking up a roster spot all year without helping and being some of their most talented players, obviously Green, but Cordy Glenn should be their best offensive lineman if he was out there, and he hasn't been. So I don't know what the delay was. I don't know what the issue was. Obviously, we hear things and we have talked about it, but finally it looks like Cordy Glenn is ready to assume command of the left tackle spot. We're going to watch that really closely, obviously, to see if he's got a short leash, if he's ready, if he's in shape, whatever the case may be. Um, if he even still holds any, you know, grudge against the team at this point, and maybe it affects his performance or durability during the game. And then the other side, left guard, Billy Price has not been able to grab hold of that position. Uh, it's it's a shame at this point. He's playing pretty poorly by all uh, metrics and grading. And I think Alex Redmond, outside of John Miller, who's been decent or to okay on a bad offensive line, Redmond has at least been stable. When he has had times to play, uh, Michael Jordan, we we know he had to he had to get benched as soon as possible. But Billy Price has been so up and down that I think they want to go with someone who's a little more stable. And that's I said this before, but I think Alex Redman is a perfect Jim Turner player, and for all the ro- wrong reasons, he, he he likes him because he's big, tough, and and physical, um, but not very good. And he's not a fit for what Zach Taylor wants to do in the running game and what they've kind of gotten away from in the running game. So the fact that they switched to a more gap scheme, they're pulling guards a little bit more, that is a better fit for Alex Redmond than the zone, outside zone kind of scheme that they have been running early in the year to no avail. But it's not like Billy Price is particularly good at that either, despite him saying when I talked to him when I went to Paul Brown Stadium in the summer that he felt really good about his reach block, not something that really showed up on tape after that conversation. And in case you weren't excited enough about the return of Cordy Glenn, Darius Phillips returned to practice today and will be the second player for the Bengals to come off the IR return. Phillips is eligible to return on the December 1st game in just two weeks against the New York Jets at home in Cincinnati. And John Ross is expected back the next week against the Browns December 8th. But Darius Phillips is a guy that we've talked about on the Locked On Bengals podcast. Somebody we're excited to see back and playing for the Bengals. Need to see him getting some reps with the first team. And there's no reason to think that he shouldn't just step in down the stretch here in a lost season and just get starts and just see what you have in him. Because he was great in the preseason. He's been great in limited snaps, very limited snaps in the regular season. And he also offers quite a bit in the kick return game. That's right. And his injury uh, before, he was a primary kick returner, and his injury opened the door for Brandon Wilson, who looks like maybe the AFC kick returner for the Pro Bowl at this point, averaging 35 yards per return. So some you know, light at the end of that tunnel of, of him being injured. But yes, I do agree. On defense, I want to see Phillips again, and I want to see him maybe even as a punt returner because we've pretty much maximized uh, Alex Erickson at that spot. But the only thing that I would say would probably hold him back is Lou Anarumo because if it's... Darius Phillips, he kind of has to replace B.W. Webb as that boundary guy, and I just don't know if that's going to happen. I think B.W. Webb being a veteran, Lou Anarumo being perhaps beholden to the wishes of his head coach and front office, might go to the bench. In the interest of just seeing, because they're doing this with other positions on defense. They're seeing what they have in these young guys, they're letting them play, because they need to make these assessments 
if they want to have any shot. And they're going to get one more year, maybe. Not all these coaches are going to get that full one more year, but at most you have to think they're going to get one more year to prove that they can put it together with a roster that's somewhat of their own construction. Right, and that's the, that's the thing there. I think knowing who you have on this roster on the back end is something Marvin Lewis t- took way too long to do, and now the Bengals have already been starting it since week eight. Let's finish it off when Phillips returns. Attention past, present, and future MyBookie players. During Thanksgiving week, MyBookie is offering a risk-free bet on the Bears-Lions game. I know this is a Bengals podcast, but this is free money. Choose a team against the spread for up to $250, and if you win... Congratulations, you've got extra holiday spending money. If you lose, well, congratulations to you as well because MyBookie will give you all your money back. It's a no-brainer because you literally can't lose. It's no risk, all gravy, Joe. Just log on to MyBookie.ag and make your first deposit with promo code Locked On, and MyBookie will match your deposit dollar for dollar to jumpstart your bankroll, and that's on top of the risk-free bet. Let me repeat. That's a guaranteed deposit match and a risk-free bet for Thanksgiving only. So if you're a true football fan, you do not want to let this opportunity pass you by. You simply cannot lose. Go over to mybookie.ag, make your deposit with promo code locked on for that free deposit match. MyBookie, you play, you win, you get paid. So I openly questioned here. Because uh, I was thinking about the two players they're IR recalling. It's John Ross and Darius Phillips, and we've kind of known this for, what, since they went on IR, number one. But at least the last handful of weeks, we thought really no one else going on IR that you must recall or has an injury that, you know, is going to be able to come back at some point. They misused it on, well, probably because they didn't know with Cordy Glenn and obviously with A.J. Green. Had they have known or had the foresight or not seen the setbacks with Green, then they, they could have, you know, hired him and brought him back. But point being is when I thought of this, I thought, have the Bengals really been that injured? I know we, first thing and many things we talk about is injuries when this team is 0-10. But if you're, there's no one better to IR recall, there's been no one else to even consider IR recalling than Darius Phillips and a guy who's played, what, 50 snaps this year and had one nice kick return, not even 50, Jake, you're shaking your head. I, right, it's there's not really... 24 snaps on defense. And we're like, oh, yeah, Darius Phillips, you know, excited, which I am. But that's kind of crazy when we're talking about this team being so injured. But, uh, Jake, I think you brought up a few points when I mentioned this to you earlier. Yeah, there's a couple of things that go into that. One is the way they've managed it, and you just touched on all of that. If they had IR'd Cordy Glenn and A.J. Green, and fair point to Zach Taylor, if there's a chance they can get A.J. Green back before week eight, you just carry him on the roster the whole time. Fine, whatever. Seems like that injury has been mismanaged because he's still not playing and it's almost December, but it is what it is at this point. Cordy Glenn, no way you can predict a concussion taking you eight weeks, but can't can't really fault the team for either of those. But in retrospect, it's like, all right, we carried two guys this whole year that counted against our 53. And then you have these other two guys get hurt, and now we need to fill the roster with players that can be active. And so John Ross misses three more weeks than he has to. He came back to practice last week. Is he going to play until December 8th? Darius Phillips comes back to practice today. Is going to miss only one week. He's going to miss this week. Then he'll be back in two weeks. So that one was fairly managed then. The Ross one is almost even mismanaged 
also, right? Would you say that? I would say half the time, yeah, because half the time he's been on the IR here, he's going to be back at practice. Right. Healthy enough to practice and play, I would assume. Which is substantial. And they do like to handle John Ross with kid gloves. At least they did in the offseason. But this is a team that desperately needs him right now because Ryan Finley needs something to build on or not, depending on your perspective. Right. But... What I, what, the other things I was talking about earlier are the players that have been hurt for the Bengals are just, on offense, I think, more significant than maybe any other team in the league just because of the duration and the specific guys that are hurt. So you take away the two top receivers for the Bengals essentially all year. John Ross played four games. He's played 40% of the game so far. Made really an impact in two of them, but he played in four of them. AJ Green misses a whole year. Meanwhile, Cordy Glenn misses a whole year. Jonah Williams misses a whole year. So when you're missing those four guys right off the top, any injuries after that have a much greater effect. So you you miss John Miller for a game when you're already down your two best linemen. Well, now who now now you're down your three best linemen and and you're already at your fourth option at left tackle, your third option at left guard, and now so you're it's down. All- it's, it's, it's almost had a multiple, yeah, exactly, multiplied because every team loses their right guard for one game at of some course. point. Every, right, everyone's going to miss their left tackle for a couple games if it's Andre Smith or whatever, you know, because that was the situation. Uh, but right, once it's starting to compound, you get to number five left guard, number four left tackle. Well, then at that point, you don't even have a suitable right guard to replace that guy that's going to inevitably miss a game. And that's the other part too, as you mentioned, Jonah. Uh, two other big players that missed time, Jonah Williams and, and Darquez Denard, pup list. So that's, you know, I, as I'm looking at the IR recall, I'm like, yeah, of course, you, or else they may have spent it on, on Darquez Denard. Yeah. And and I think they managed Jonah Williams' injury perfectly because of yeah. what you learned today from the Houston guys about the way PUP works. You can bring him back, bring him back whenever. Last year, Devontae Foreman comes off the PUP in December, December 8th. Was it something like that? It's late, late, late in the year. So to clarify, originally in the CBA, and this was uh, rectified or changed at least in 2017, was the the original language was after a certain amount of time that you know six weeks you can bring back a guy from pup list. You after that you had another six weeks to practice him, and if he didn't practice, he just reverted to IR. Apparently, and the Texans guys told me this today because I've been touting that old rule, uh, that was taken out. And it was, you can bring back a guy on the pup list at any time after those six weeks. There's no penalty. There's no reverting the IR. Because that would, I guess I understand why the NFLPA would agree to that, because it would only punish a player. So that makes sense. They can activate Jonah at any time. I originally said this Monday he had to practice by. That is not true. And you know what I would really like to see is, I would like to see that rule further changed in favor of teams and players to some degree, I think. And and that is, if a player is hurt before a preseason game, let them put those guys on the pup list. And obviously this interests me because of A.J. Green's situation. But if you get hurt on day one of training camp, I don't see any reason. Like, yeah, it's after training camp starts, but... It's before a game has happened. Let those guys go on the PUP list to give teams a little bit of flexibility. Maybe limit it, you know, if you want. Only right. two guys can do it. Mm-hmm. So so make the teams think hard about it. Otherwise, they have to IR him or carry him. But, I mean, they're still out until week six. Right. That's still significant. 
it's it's a difference of two weeks, and it gives them just flexibility, right? It lets you free up that roster spot right away, and and leads you. It's, it's, and again, this is something that I've only become interested in because it impacted the Bengals. Yeah. So to wrap this up, then on this the, this discussion, if you were to rank injuries for the reason they were um, 0 and 10, and I don't mean rank players, I mean let's say. The Bengals' decision-making, whether that personnel moves or whatever, coaching, yep. talent, and injuries, where would injuries fall in there? Is that near one or two, or would you say it's probably three or four? It's behind personnel moves for sure, right? Because I think so, too. Because the roster construction is just bad. I, I, the, and that's why you can't overcome injuries, right? Because of some of that roster construction and decision-making. Right. So you compare the Bengals to the Chiefs in this regard, right? The Chiefs also had games this year without Tyreek Hill and Sammy Watkins, and they had their top two offensive linemen hurt. And, yeah, they have Patrick Mahomes. That makes a big difference. But their depth at receiver stepped up. Miko Hardman, Brian Byron, Pink Pringle. I don't even know his name. I tried it's to pick Byron, him up yeah. in fantasy one week. But these guys stepped up and made plays, right? Because they, they established their roster such that even the backups are bringing the same skill set. They're, they're all fast. Everybody at the skill positions in Kansas City is fast, right? And yes, a lot of that is attributable to Patrick Mahomes. But Patrick Mahomes missed a week too. And, and who's the backup there? Matt Moore. Matt Moore goes in there and, and is okay. Right. And, and I know that they have their receivers back at that point, but... Point being, you, you compare the Bengals roster to the Chiefs roster, the Chiefs have had similar injuries on offense. They've missed mm-hmm. their quarterback for a few games too, if you want to talk about the fact that the Bengals are out there with a backup. And and they're a 6-4 and four team while the Bengals are 0-10. And and that's a huge, right. huge difference. So, yeah, I think the roster construction is absolutely first. And it's hard for me to say coaching isn't second from what we've heard and just the criticisms that we've had all year, especially on the offensive line. It, it's hard for me to say that that is injuries. Now the coaches do get, I think a bit of leeway here. It's mitigated a little bit because yeah, they haven't been working with the roster at full strength, even for one week or even right. remotely close to full strength. Right. Especially on the offensive line. But I don't think that that vindicates the coaching staff. Yeah, I would agree. Those would also be my top two. And then I guess, uh, right. Injuries and, and talent. I do think there's mostly talent on the team. So I don't, Fully criticize that. I think the you know more roster management and building because you shouldn't have let this offensive line get like this. You shouldn't have let linebacker get like that. But overall, the other positions I feel are decently talented. So I would actually put injuries number four, and that's not to support my case. That's just me number thinking four? of this right now. Or number yeah. three. Well, because talent. So injuries is the the ah I see what you're saying. So biggest reason why they are where they are. Yeah. So injuries would be three. Talent would be four. Yeah. Yes, you're right. Yep. Yeah, uh, it, I was thinking of the opposite. Yeah, yeah. I mean, injuries are certainly a factor here, and I don't think the Bengals are zero and ten. If if you know Jonah if Williams healthy. is playing the whole year and AJ Green's playing the whole year, there's no way. If just Jonah yeah. and AJ play the whole year, they have at least two, three wins three. right now. Yeah, at least three. I was gonna say. And if they have a different coaching staff, you know what? Actually, I, I take it back. I put injuries ahead of coaching because. I, I, what would Marvin have this? If Marvin's staff, a typical Marvin staff, how many wins would they have? They'd have some. Two or three. Yeah. So that's, I guess maybe they're tied. Flip a coin on that. Yeah. You guys tell us what you think. Yeah. Rank them for us. We'll put up a poll or something. Yes. Because you seem to interact best 
with polls. That seems to be the way to get people to respond to us on Twitter. You know what I thought? I thought we'd get more people talking to us about Joe Burrow after yesterday's conversation. We only had like two guys, two yeah. people. I think people stepped away and were like, yeah, that was pretty reasonable. <laughs> well, we are reasonable people, I think. That is our greatest strength. And in the spirit of being reasonable, we have a bunch of questions we didn't get to yesterday, and we're going to get to those next. Jumping right in, we got Brian from Ottawa at Puck and Bad Jokes. Would you rather go 0-16 and get the first overall pick or 1-15 and get the second pick? First pick, no matter what. That's my best Kevin Costner. Oh, okay. I was going to say, I don't think the Bengals, 0-16 is the one thing they haven't done that separates them from the Browns and Lions. But does, does that really mean anything? Is that no. worth anything? I don't care. I, you know that I'll forget about it as soon as they draft the right quarterback, and I would move on. It does not matter, except if it was if it was like if it if it had been three, four, and twelve years, and then you have an zero and sixteen year. I think that's a little bit worse. And yes, they've been six and ten right for the last three years, so yeah. it's not that different but if it had been like five six seven years if this was the 90s and then they go oh and 16 then i might want the one win just because you know how many punches can you take right but i thought we're, we're like that right now though. how many punches can we take we're yeah, taking every, a lot of punches week. this year every week why are we doing this uh but i saw lance McAllister of all people asked is this worse than the 90s and he said this is worse than the 90s. And here's his rationale for it. Even though it's only been one year and the 90s was a decade. When this started in the 90s, when Dave Shula went 0-10, whatever it was in the 90s. It was only a few years removed from a Super Bowl appearance in 1988. And in this one, we are coming off of 17 years of almost with Marvin right. Lewis. And 17 years of not quite good enough with Marvin Lewis. Or 17 years of bad luck. Whatever it is. This is not what the fans, loyal fans of a franchise deserve. If you stuck this out for the last 30 years, as long as Joe and I have been alive, A, why, B, you deserve better. And that was Lance's argument? Well, the beginning was, then it got into Okay, Lance, and then that was you. Yeah. Okay, that's good. I got the next question here. Fly Rob at Elite Pod Racer. Now that's pod racing. What was your reaction when the Bengals took A.J. Green instead of a quarterback in, two, in the 2011 draft? Were you high on any of the quarterbacks back then, or were you happy with the pick? Do you remember, Jake? This is going to be much more interesting for you to answer, because at that point, with Carson Palmer holding the team hostage, I was checked out. I was oh, ready really? to go. I was mm. like, yeah, sure, they'll draft A.J. Green, whatever. They got a receiver. And then Andy mm. Dalton comes in, and they win 10 games. And I'm like, all right, I'm back on the I hook. Think, uh, I think a lot of people did that. It was a, they needed that quick turnaround, and it happened. Um, and remember, that was a strike—not strike. It was lockout, shortened off season, so everything was kind of. Everyone was checking out of football for different reasons at that point. A lot of people were, and the Bengals reeled us back in. But for me, AJ Green was my number one player. I started doing draft analysis and actually posting and, and writing things about 2009 or 2008. So by this time, it was three or four years into it. And I was writing for CincyJungle.com at the time. Uh, Andy Dalton, I want to say, was my fourth-ranked quarterback. And A.J. Green was my number one player, so I was more than happy to have it. I, I'm kind of ashamed to say now that I like Blaine Gabbert, and I thought he could be an option uh, with that pick. But about a month away from the draft, I 
knew or had a good um, tip or inclination, two plus two, that the Bengals would like Andy Dalton. And actually, if you uh, search, because back then, if I posted it, no one would hear it. But I was tweeting at Oven Silva at at, um, Roto World, and I said, I'm calling it now Andy Dalton to the Bengals at pick 35 about a month before the draft. And then you got famous. Yeah, that might have helped, I think. You (laughs) should be thinking Andy Dalton right now, Joe. I nailed that report on Andy Dalton. I've posted it since then. People go, wow. I was going to say, even though you have the right words, and I had him ranked number four, which he should have been higher, obviously. He should have been Cam Newton, Andy Dalton, Colin Kaepernick. Uh, Maybe you can flip Kaepernick and Dalton because the upside of Kaepernick and his his high was higher than Dalton's. But uh, I would say you can write the right words and, and really nail the evaluation, but value it incorrectly, and I probably did that with Dalton. Well, when Andy Dalton comes back in week 17 and plays in his final game as a bank, although if I'm Andy Dalton, I'm telling him to piss off. <laughs> I'll sit on the bench and collect my paycheck. Thank you very much. Get me out of here as soon as possible. But when he comes back in week 17, you can write him a thank you note on Twitter for being Did your you... jumping off point for Bengals coverage. Right. You're right. Did you see when uh, Finley got up a little hobbled in the Raiders game? Dalton was up and throwing, man. He was yeah, he was into it. He was more than excited to get back in the game. Because imagine, <laughs> imagine being Andy Dalton and watching just how bad Finley's playing out there and just being like, man, we would win. Like, watching the Oakland game in particular, if I get in this game, we would win. He's definitely thinking that, right? Oh, they would have won, right? Yeah. Well, no question. Well, they, they win that game with Dalton. Yeah. Next question comes from Jacob Knapp at Explode in Fierro. What? I don't know. He asks, and this one will require some creative thinking. How do you think the organization will look when Mike Brown steps away? What do you think will happen, Joe? Hmm. I don't know. Uh, obviously, it seems like the Blackburns will take over, largely Katie and Troy, which based on Troy's public comment, he should never speak again because that only hurts him. <laughs> and, and don't forget Mike Brown Jr. Right. So uh, I don't feel great about it, but there's hope. I mean, I kind of, you with your discussion with uh, the, the little one you had with Katie when you were in Paul Brown Stadium, when you went down there, it seemed like she was at least open to the idea of the new age media and, you know, things like what we do and, and bloggers and writers of, of that ilk. But, you know, and what's that worth? That's not worth wins, but it, being open and being more grounded and being younger should help. It, at the end, it's going to come down to um, being a first-class organization, and I, I just don't know if that's the case. She at least understood the internet. That's great. I don't know that Mike is quite there, and I think it's Paul Brown Jr. I think that's the other son. I think it's Paul Brown Jr. What'd you Mike say? Brown, Mike Brown Jr. Oh, yeah, it is Paul Brown. Yeah, Paul Brown Jr. Yeah, I met all I met all of them. I met Mike Brown. I, I didn't meet Troy Blackburn. Um, maybe they maybe he heard my Walmart rant and was like, ah, you, you invited those guys here? I'm, I'm, I'm skipping lunch today, Dad. He hasn't <laughs> talked since then. It'll be interesting to see if the Blackburns stay involved, right? You would mm-hmm. think they would, but... A big part of the Bengals right now is, you know, they're not going to sell naming rights to the stadium because it's Mike's dad. Will the Blackburns do it? Will they uphold that legacy? Will they call it Paul Brown Field and sell the rights to the stadium kind of thing? Sure. Right? Or Paul Brown Stadium presented by Skyline Jilly. Yeah. Or Gold Star in the chase of, in the case of the Bengals because that is their sponsor. The, the Reds are sponsored by Skyline. But which, 
I mean, it's probably a problem, right? For get get Skyline. That's what the people of Cincinnati like better. And I, I I'm pretty sure I'm I'm right on that one. Anyway, the business practices are what I'm interested in seeing if they modernize. And beyond that, how are they gonna change? Are they gonna appoint a GM when when Mike's not there anymore? Because Katie's not gonna be a GM, right? Right. Troy's not gonna be a GM. I don't these guys think so. are I don't think so. I don't think any of these next generation folks are the type to think they could be a GM. I think they recognize, and maybe I'm wrong on this, but I want to say they recognize that they are executives, right? I think you're right based on the things we've heard over the last draft and free agencies yeah. and even hiring Zach Taylor, how it was, okay, um, you know, it was the younger generation, or I should say the second generation, the kids, and... Uh, Duke Tobin leading the search, like as if they, that's how it would go on a normal team. It would be the owners and the, and the GM and they'd say, okay, let's go get our guy. And from there, any personnel decisions would mostly include the head coach and the GM, which is de facto Duke Tobin. And you have to wonder if Duke Tobin and Zach Taylor are in such lockstep, is that good? Is Zach Taylor going to figure it out? And a lot of people think Zach Taylor needs more time. He was going to, like you've said on the podcast, Joe, he needed time. He's going to go through growing pains. He can put it together. He's a good coach. And we'll have to wait and see. I just want him to start making some better decisions and stop hiring his friends. And well, maybe yeah. that's something that's going to take time to learn too, right? But they, the Bengals hire internally too much and they hire their friends too much. And it comes back to bite him in the ass all the time. And just hire some goddamn scouts when you take over Blackburn family. Just like eight oh, for sure. or nine, you know, a normal Mo Egger, Mo Egger had a good piece on The Athletic of he just bought the Bengals. Yeah. This is what he could do. And it, it was good. Because, it was a good one. I mean, I, yeah, I think a lot of people would agree. I'm going to move on to the next question, okay. Jake. And it's from John O'Shea. He says, any chance we see Jake Dolagala? Sure. No. I don't. I, originally, two days ago, I would have said yes. And, and today, I'm going to say I don't think so. And, and maybe for a quarter here or there, but... After Zach Taylor said he wouldn't commit beyond one more game, he did an interview, I think, with Jeff Hobson the next day, and he said, we, we, eight games might not be enough. It's never enough. But it sounded like in that conversation it was going to be Finley for the rest of the year. Right, unless something happens. And then maybe, you know, we see Dolagala. But I agree, he's not even active on Sundays, which tells you everything you need to know. He's not even the backup right now. I think he would have to first be the backup of some sort, be active. And that doesn't even seem like it's on the docket. But how are teams so bad at self-scouting? I wish I had an answer at all. I'm not saying that Dolagal is better than Finley, but he might be. And just If he's way... not getting reps, then I know, what is but... the self-scouting? I what know. are they scouting? That makes it hard. Yeah, you got to actually force it sometimes. Yeah. I mean, maybe that's the nature of the quarterback position, right? Like, there's no way to really evaluate outside of just changing your starter. Right, and seeing what you get. Yeah. Yeah, it makes it's it not harder. A, it's not like you can give Ryan Finley or Dolagala, hey, you've got this drive, go ahead, and we can evaluate it. It's not preseason. You know, you just kind of go with it. Yep. All right, let's do one last question here for fun. Canadian right. Bengals fan, but this week being a potential win in Washington, looking like they could potentially land the first overall pick. My question is street fighter or mortal Kombat for SNES. And if you say clay fighters or killer instincts, I couldn't get mad killer instinct. Sorry. I couldn't get mad. Yeah. I, 
am torn. This is a good debate, Street Fighter, Mortal Kombat. I played both. Obviously, I was a Sega Genesis guy, though. Me too. Uh, I did play a little bit of Killer Instinct. Never Clay Fighters, but I remember always looking at the cover on at Blockbuster. It was like a snowman made out of clay, and he looked all evil. Do you remember that? Yeah, vaguely, but now that I'm looking at it, I think that I also looked at this game in Blockbuster and never played it. Yeah, and I just remember the art was so awesome. But I want to say Mortal Kombat is much cooler. I had more fun with that in terms of the gore, but... I probably played Street Fighter more because I felt like it was more, it was easier to pick up for me. And, and like, that's something we have played recently and we haven't played Mortal Kombat with the kids. I've been, I was a button masher at that part of my life, no matter what game it was. But I, I played Mortal Kombat on Genesis because I was also a Sega Genesis guy. But on SNES, it was Killer Instinct because my buddy had an mm-hmm. SNES and he had Killer Instinct and I really enjoyed Killer Instinct on SNES, but at my house, it was it was Mortal Kombat on Genesis. I remember Killer Instinct on, like, the next generation. The Was it Sega Saturn and stuff? Uh, maybe even Dreamcast? I, what, the first time I played Killer Instinct wasn't for, like, SNES generation. You know what other game was good? What's that? Rampage. Oh, yeah. They made a movie. You mean, like, Arcade that, right? Rampage, right? Yeah, but somebody had it for SNES or, I don't know, somebody had it in my neighborhood. That was a fun game. Paperboy, I liked. Never played Paperboy. It's stupid, but it's fun. You know what game I never played that I really want to play? What's that? Uh, what was it? Um, Mario RPG, whatever whatever it was called. Paper Mario. No, 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 Mario RPG. Oh, is that what it was called? Like the original one before Paper Mario. I don't remember that at all. One of the better RPGs, I think, ever. You know what I've been playing lately? Pokemon Crystal, because I never Uh, played Crystal. Yeah, and I wait for. Yeah, I was gonna have to say we gotta wait for a Switch for Christmas. Yeah, but uh, so in the meantime, I had the itch, and I've been playing that with the kids. Man, I really want a Switch. It's just so expensive. You're talking six hundred dollars startup, seven hundred ish startup, just for just for the system and the controllers in Canadian dollars. I know it's cheaper in American dollars. Yeah, because you're going to want to get a couple controllers because yeah. the functionality looks like a blast. And there's so many good games. Like, just looking at it is daunting to jump in right now because oh, yeah. I want to get the Zelda games, the Mario yep. games, yep. you know, uh, Super Smash Bros. and things like that. And I'm just like, oh, there's a lot. There's four I would get, or maybe three. Breath of the Wind or whatever the Zelda game is. Yeah. Mario Kart, Smash Brothers, and and the Pokemon game. So four. So that's that's... In Canadian dollars, that's 320 for the games, 400 for the system. And I get two of the controllers, which you can get wired for 40 or wireless, which look a little bit nicer for 100 I mean, $100. a grand. Lockdown Bengals, Google Money. Yeah, get us some more Google Money. We'll talk to you guys on Sunday after the Bengals play the Steelers. And until then, have a good weekend, Bengals fans.